0: We are in a series called The Monarchy of Misfits. We're going through the book of 1 Samuel. We're looking at the stories of Saul and David. It's been an epic saga. That's all I know. Somebody called it a soap opera. I'm going to call it an epic saga. It started if like part one of the saga was the rise and fall of Saul. That would be like the first movie. And then we're introduced to his replacement, David. And now there's some new hope. We that great story that everybody knows of David and Goliath uh, a couple weeks ago. And then Scott taught last week about some of the fallout for Saul from David all of a sudden being the hero. And now in this saga, Saul has officially became the villain. Now, do you have a favorite villain? Does any shout out some favorite movie or TV villains? Somebody. somebody. Hannibal. Hannibal. (laughs) Who said that? Okay, it, that sounds about right, Jessica. Thanks. <laughs> Any others? Venom. Who? Venom. I don't even know who that is. Spider-Man. Oh, Venom, Spider-Man. That must be one of the new ones I haven't seen, I guess, right? Okay. Who did you, what? Walter White. Walter White. I'm breaking bad, right? Don't know why I know that. Yeah, um, <laughs> what? Negan, Negan I love, he's a good guy, though, now. He's complicated like Saul and David. Tony, Tony, man, you guys have got some good ones. I don't even, so like the most popular villain of all time, anybody know? Darth Vader, the Joker, Hannibal came in third. You know who came in fourth? This one cracked me up. The shark from Jaws. (laughs) 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 And this may not apply to the shark, but the rest of these villains and the ones that you guys mentioned, if you think about all the movies and the TV shows you've seen, there are some common characteristics across villains. One is they typically have a wound, whether it's a physical one like a scar or a limp of some sort, or maybe it's an emotional wound from their past that they're dealing with. Uh, they, they, Instead of healing from these wounds, whether it's emotional or physical, maybe they should become empathetic, but instead from the wounds they become revengeful or they try to get vengeance. So that's one part of a villain. Number two is they hoard. Think of a, a, a dragon in a cave hoarding his treasure, or, or think of somebody trying to hoard power. That's what a villain does. But most importantly, and number three, most villains, I think I could probably say all villains, they don't have any friends. They have minions, they have yes-men and yes-women, but they don't have any close friendships, just people that they use for their benefit. We're going to talk a little bit about friendship tonight. I preached a sermon this past summer when we went through the difficult question series about friends. And the question that we asked is, do I really need friends? Because I think I was going through some things at that time and wasn't sure I actually needed any friends anymore. But the answer was clear. It was an easy yes. We all need friends, and so I'm not going to rehash that sermon tonight. It's online. I give it about a B minus. If you want to go check it out, um, but it's on our website, and it, it's okay, and it, it'll give you some insight to what we're talking about tonight. But in this story, chapter 20 of First Samuel, um, are you talking bad about me? I it up. <laughs> Was I not? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to look at in this story what friendship then looks like in action. Um, so chapter 20, 1 Samuel, uh, we're going to go pretty much verse by verse through this. I'm in the New Living Translation, so if you want to pull out your phones or your Bibles, you can do that. If not, the words are going to be up on the screen. Chapter 20, 1 Samuel, verse 1, it begins like this. David, our new hero in the story, now fled from Naioth in Ramah. Last week when Scott preached he had that famous line, it's one of my favorites in the entire story, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his ten thousands. That's the wound that Saul experiences and it's that full transition from Saul as just this messed-up kind of guy to the all-out villain in the story. He is the classic villain if you think about it. He's been wounded, he's enraged with jealousy, He's trying to hang on to his power. He's trying to hoard it. Guy doesn't have any friends. And now he has set out to kill David. And so we skipped over a few chapters. But if we read chapters 19 and continue on through 25, 26, it's just this cat and mouse game. Saul pursuing David. David on the run. And it's just over and over. The same cat and mouse game repeats. And so that's where we begin. Now David fled. Here he goes running again from Naoth. And he found Jonathan. If you remember as we've gone through the story, Jonathan is Saul's son. He's the villain's son, but in a great twist in the story, Jonathan and David are tight. How tight? Well, David has so much trust in his friend that even though he's the son of the man who is trying to kill him, that's the friend that he runs to in his time of need. That's a huge risk, Because he could run to him and Jonathan could be like, "Uh, hey dad, I caught the guy. And then he could earn his father's favor and he could be the future king because he is now the prince. And so there are plenty of reasons for David not to run to Jonathan, but he trusts him. Why does he trust Jonathan? How does he trust Jonathan? Well, he trusts him because he knows him. We can't trust someone until we know them. There's a recent study, like really recent, and they spent um, some time just figuring out when people actually become that tight of a friend for us. And so they said uh, if we spend between 40 and 60 hours with someone, then they become um, an acquaintance then a casual friend. So we have got acquaintances. After 40 to 60 hours, they become a casual friend. At 80 to 100 hours, they can move from casual friend to a close friend. So we're moving on, but to be our BFF, you know, that tier one top status friend, he said it takes over 200 hours of quality time together. Quality time, that's an important word. It's not just 200 hours with the person, it's 200 hours of quality time. You may see your barista at Starbucks every day when you go in there, maybe you've seen her for 200 hours, but it's not quality time. You are not best friends with her or him yet. For a marriage to work, which should be your closest friend, In life, if you're married, it has to have trust, right? And to have trust, then we need to know the person to whom we're married. And to know the person to whom we're married, we need to spend quality time with that person. If you want your kids to trust you, we can be friends with our kids, but if we want our kids to trust us as parents, they have to know us before they'll trust us. And for them to know us, we have to spend quality time with our kids and quality time is not sitting on your phone next to your kid it's spending time doing stuff with them talking to them but where we're leading tonight if you want a deep friendship the kind of friend that you can trust no matter what those things don't happen overnight it's going to take a lot of quality time david is going through a tremendous trial he's being chased he is about to be killed And two things he is going to cling to. He's going to cling to most of all his relationship with God, but secondly, his relationship with his friend Jonathan. That is the value of a biblical friendship. And so as we continue in verse 1, David says, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? And so David's like, man, I defeated the giant for our nation. I fought for your dad on the front lines. I played the harp so the guy could sleep. Why is he trying to kill me? Jonathan protests. He says in verse 2, that's not true. You're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. Now, Jonathan is wrong. But I want us to see a character trait here, even in the wrongness, that makes him such a great friend. Jonathan is loyal. He displays loyalty. And here, Jonathan is being loyal to his dad. He gives his dad the benefit of the doubt. He says, this can't be. He defends his father. How often do we hear some gossip about a friend, or maybe an acquaintance, and instead of questioning it, we simply believe it? Our loyalty just blows with the wind, which isn't loyalty at all. And I'm not saying tonight you should be blindly loyal, but loyalty is a character trait we ought to be evaluating and mindful of and nurturing in our lives. We should ask Am I loyal? Am I loyal as a friend? Am I loyal as a spouse? Am I loyal to my church? Am I loyal to my employer? NPR a couple weeks ago and it's kind of become a big thing since then. They had a story they ran about the great resignation. Has anybody heard of this? It's this period we're in right now where you know everybody stayed home from COVID and they're just reevaluating life and so 40% of people right now are rethinking the employer that they work for and they are leaving their jobs in mass quantities. But there is value in being loyal to an employer. It's not to say you can't ever look for a better job opportunity but continually floating your resume out on linkedin is not loyalty there's value in being loyal to an employer but let's go to our churches now loyalty to a church one church congregation has been on decline for decades probably even centuries and i'll give you a little bit of recent church history 101 before the advent of the automobile Most people's decision on which church to attend was the church down on the corner, and they got to pick between the Baptist, the Methodist, and the Presbyterian, and the whatever else was there. That was the choice. You went to the church around the corner because you could not go any further than that. But with the invent of automobiles, now you could pick the church across town, the one that had the best children's ministry or the best preaching or the best choir or the best decor. And at that moment, the church consumer was born. And by definition, consumers are not loyal. And Now we bring this even more current. Internet, there's church content everywhere. We got online Bible studies. We got commentaries. We got sermon podcasts, books, videos, documentaries, online church services. Every church has it. All that is good stuff. But the rise of this access has led some to the conclusion that being loyal to one church is no longer necessary. Why come here, Brian preach when I can hear Tim Keller, whoever your favorite preacher is? Why be led into worship by amateur musicians when I've got access to Spotify, the best musicians on the planet? Why look other human beings in the eye when I can just give them a thumbs up? That's good enough, right? We are being constantly attacked by powers outside of this realm. And those powers want us to neglect the things that are important and good for us in life. And one of those important good things is a loyal connection, long-term, to a body of Christ. Not loyal to me, not loyal to a building, loyal to a group of friends that we call the local church. And so anytime somebody leaves this church, and that's okay, I say, hey, you know, refuge is not the church for everyone. We are unique in the kind of church we are, so that's okay that, that you don't feel like you fit here. But I tell them, but find a church connect with that church, serve in that church, be loyal to that church, build relationships in that church. Verse 3, Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. How hard do you think it is for David to have this conversation? To tell his friend, your dad isn't such a good guy. I don't think your dad is who you think he is. Your loyalty, while it is honorable, has been misplaced. And so the point I want to make is that friendship includes hard conversations. Just like this. And yes, it's scary. Yeah, it's a lot easier to be a conflict avoider. It's a lot easier to get offended or hurt and just bottle that stuff up way down deep relationships are messy and so I can't tell you how many times my family probably can that I've said out loud we should just move build a wall around our family and never come into contact with other human beings again (laughs) but that's not God's purpose for our lives and I am an introvert but it doesn't matter if you're an introvert it doesn't matter if you're an extrovert we were created to be in relationship with other human beings saw a quote this week, or maybe I heard it. I just jotted it down. said, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. That's how important in that community they see connection to be. The opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. It's connection. Real friendships are going to require hard conversations. And so dad says, bro, David says, your dad is a mess. He's trying to kill me. That's hard enough to say, but he says something else, and I don't know if you caught it. He lets Jonathan in on his fear when he says, man, I am only steps away from death. He's being absolutely vulnerable. So I ask you, have you been vulnerable with a friend? Because it takes that to get to know them. Have you just laid it all out there with your friend, your deepest fear maybe, or your greatest struggle? Have you done that? Have you gotten burned ever doing that? And so maybe you've built some walls up. You stopped being vulnerable. Maybe you started calling people on Facebook your friends. And then what are we left with when we do that? We're left with relationships that are about an inch deep. And I'm going to call those tonight junk friendships. Junk food makes us physically sick. Studies are now finding that junk friendships can make us mentally sick just like junk food makes us physically sick. And just like all that Halloween candy that's sitting on your counter at home that you've been snacking on all week, just like that candy won't meet your nutritional needs and in the end make you really feel terrible, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, online church, shallow relationships that only go an inch deep, they don't meet our nutritional friendship needs and in the long term can make us mentally sick. And so I have what I call this friendship paradigm. We can't be loyal until we trust. We can't trust until we know. We can't really know someone unless we're willing to move beyond those junk friendships. In this drawing here, I'm just going to take a sidebar because he's not listening tonight. Tyler in my office, I, I sent him that quote, and I said, can you draw something that represents that? I don't know exactly how this represents that, but you guys can figure that out tonight and tell me later. So it probably does, but y'all help me out later. Verse 4, tell me what I can do to help you, Jonathan exclaimed. Verse 5, David replied, tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. I've always eaten with the king on this occasion, but tomorrow I'll hide in the field and stay there until the evening of the third day. If your father asks me where I am, tell him I asked permission to go home to Bethlehem for an annual family sacrifice. Verse 7, he says, if, if he says, fine, you'll know all is well. But if he is angry and loses his temper, you will know he is determined to kill me. Verse 8, David says, Show me this loyalty as my sworn friend, for we made a solemn pact before the Lord. Or kill me yourself if I have sinned against your father, but please don't betray me to him. Verse 9, Jonathan says, Never. You know that if I had the slightest notion my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you at once. And I'll just make a quick note here. Friends are honest even when the news is bad. And so Jonathan is making a commitment here to be honest with his friend even if the news is bad. In your friendships, if you're afraid to say what needs to be said, then you're not a loyal friend. You're still feasting on those junk friendships, and it is not healthy. Verse 12, Then Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord that by this time tomorrow, the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, I will let you know. But even if he is angry and wants you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. And may you treat me with faithful love as the Lord, so as long as I live. Verse 16, so Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship, for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And what I want us to see there, friendship is a two-way street. We all know the Bible verse, iron sharpening iron, right? That's, that's two people that are friends sharpening each other. And so friendship has to be mutual. If one person is vulnerable, but the other person is not, that's not friendship. That's a patient and a therapist. If one person is loyal, but the other uses and abuses that loyalty, that is not friendship. That's me in direct TV. (laughs) If only one person is willing to have the hard conversations in a friendship, it's not going to be a healthy friendship. It's a junk friendship. As Christians, we can befriend a lot of people, and we're supposed to do that. Even if they don't reciprocate, we can befriend them. We can be kind to them, but you can't be friends unless there is a mutual commitment to each other. Verse 18, then Jonathan said, "'Tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. "'You will be missed when your place at the table is empty.'" The day after tomorrow toward evening, go to the place where you hid before and wait there by the stone pile. I will come out and shoot three arrows to the side of the stone pile as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy to bring those arrows back. If you hear me tell him they're on this side, then you will know that all is well and there is no trouble. But if I tell him, go further, the arrows are still ahead of you, then it will mean that you must leave immediately for the Lord is sending you away. And you know, there's not a lot we need to discuss in that other than it's a very elaborate plan that they've kind of cooked up here but i want us to see we can talk about vulnerability and friendship all we want we can talk about loyalty and trust but in a friendship there does come time for actions we have to actually do it and so as the story goes this plan kind of plays out the day of the feast comes jonathan sits down with his dad they're getting ready to eat david's seat is empty saul's like oh man that's weird where's 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 david at he must be sick Next day comes and goes, and and the seat is still empty, and Saul's like, you know, where is that son of Jesse? And it's interesting in the story that he uses, he doesn't ever use David's name. He calls him the son of Jesse. That's how much he dislikes David. He's like, he who shall not be named. It's like, he's such such a bad guy. And then Jonathan, he sticks with the plan. He says, oh, David's not here because he went to Bethlehem to be with his family. And that brings us up to verse 30, Saul boiled with rage. You stupid son of a whore, (laughs) he swore at him. The youth group really liked that one on on Wednesday night for some reason. (laughs) And we also came to the conclusion, I don't think Saul thought that phrase out very well because he just called his wife a whore, probably not the smartest move. Saul says, do you think, I don't know that you want him to be your king, king in your place, shaming yourself and your mother. As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. Verse 32, Jonathan replies, But why should he be put to death? Dad, what has he done? So what I want to draw out here is friends, they speak up for each other. Eugene Peterson, he writes this on this story, he says, Friendship with David complicated Jonathan's life enormously. He risked losing his father's favor and willingly sacrificed his own royal future. But neither the risk nor the loss deterred him. He became and stayed David's friend. That's true biblical love. And I believe this is how God wants every believer to feel toward all believers. The sacrificial love was the driving force of Jesus' life and ministry and still is today. Friends, speak up for each other. That is sacrificial love in the Bible. See, Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne. And so to stand up for David, he's betraying his father, and it's going to come at great expense to himself. If you've ever had a friend stand up for you at great risk when someone is trying to kill maybe your reputation, then you know how good that feels. Don't forget that and remember that it's a two-way street then in friendship. Verse 33, then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, his own son, intending to kill him. But when you do speak up for that friend, be aware. It's going to be dangerous. That person willing to destroy your friend is now going to try to probably destroy you. Speak up anyway. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. And as an added benefit, when we stand up for our real friends, sometimes our fake friends become clear. Verse 34, Jonathan left the table in fierce anger and refused to eat on the second day of the festival, for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior toward David. I don't know if you caught that. Jonathan isn't crushed by the fact that his dad just tried to kill him. Jonathan is crushed by his dad's behavior towards his friend. That's sacrificial love. Caring more about your friend than you care for yourself. Verse 35, the next morning, as agreed, Jonathan went out into the field and took a young boy with him to gather his arrows. I'll just point out here, friends also keep their commitments. This is what they planned. This is what they agreed to. And now Jonathan is going to keep his commitment. We all have that friend, right? Who we make plans with, but they always cancel on us. They always come up with those excuses. Karen um, gave me a quote this week. Again, I'm not sure where this one came from, but it was cancellations are the heroin of our generation. And we actually had a debate last night over on our date night. We have exciting date nights, as you can tell, (laughs) on that quote and what they actually meant by it. But the, the conclusion I came to is we need people for our health, and so instead we shoot up with loneliness. That's the heroine of our generation by canceling plans all the time. And so imagine David. He's out there in this field. They've got this elaborate plan, and he's just waiting and waiting and waiting, and Jonathan, his friend, just leaves him hanging. That's rough. Imagine making plans with a friend, and you decide you'd rather sit at home and watch Netflix, leaving your friend hanging and wondering what they did to cause you to drop them. Or imagine having a friend who finally convinced a coworker to come to church with them, and they're excited to introduce them to these people who aren't judgmental like the Christians they see on TV? And you didn't keep your commitment to gather weekly with the body of Christ. Not keeping our commitments to our friends hurts them, and it hurts us. And so the plan plays out. Jonathan goes to the field where David is hiding. And he takes this boy, they say, with him, and he says to this boy, hey, start running so you can find my arrows. And then he starts shooting the arrows, which this poor kid, I'm like, he's kind of thinking, what the heck is going on? And then he shouts out, hey, the arrows are still ahead of you. If you remember back to the story, that's code for David. Yeah, David, my dad is trying to kill you. In verse 31, it says, as soon as the boy was gone, so they go through this plan, and you know, they get the secret out there. It says the boy was gone. David came out from where he had been hiding. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye. Tell your friends how much they mean to you. This bowing three times thing, I know that's weird to us. It doesn't really make sense in our culture. But what it's saying is, man, I can't tell you what you mean to me. Tell your friends how much they mean to you. Verse 42, at last Jonathan said to David, go in peace For we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Last point I'll make here, friends will come and go in our lives. It's just natural in a transient culture that we're in today. And so friends will come and go, but their impact can last forever. And that means your friends that you're friends with, you can impact their lives forever. David has to leave. It's not safe. And so the next five chapters, he's going to be a fugitive. He's going to move from place to place. He's always going to be looking over his shoulder, but he'll never forget his friend. In fact, when David becomes king, he looks after Jonathan's family. Maybe tonight you can remember past friends from high school, from college, maybe a friend up north, maybe a friend that was here and they've moved away. And while they're gone, that impact that friend had on your life, it remains. Maybe it was that friend who walked through a difficult time in your life. Maybe they were the one person that you had ever that you could be 100% completely, totally yourself without facing any kind of judgment. Or maybe they were the person that shared Jesus with you for the first time. I just want to take a moment tonight, and cut my sermon a little bit short. I just want to take a moment and think about our friends. And so I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes, quiet your minds and just think of your friends. Maybe it's a friend you have now. Maybe it's a friend you had in the past. Just picture that person for a moment. Just think right now specifically a friend you've had in the past. Picture their face. And if you would, just take a moment right now and pray for that past friend. And then if you would right now, allow God to bring a present friend to your mind, a friend that's in your life today. Whether they're a close friend or maybe it's a friend you want to be close with, but just allow God to bring a a current friend to mind. And if you've got that friend, now take a moment to both pray for them and then to ask God to show you how you can be a more loyal friend. Father God, we thank you for those special people in our lives that we get to call friends. God, we thank you for the good times with those friends. And yes, God, we thank you for the bad times with those friends. God, I pray tonight that you give each person in this room the power to be a loyal friend. God, give us wisdom to know our true friends from our fake friends. God, give us courage to stand up for our friends. Give us endurance to keep those commitments. And God, give us boldness to tell our friends truly how much they mean to us. God, we thank you for the ocean of grace that covers our messy, beautiful friendships. In Jesus' name, amen. Friendships are hard. There's no point in kidding ourselves about that, right? I mean, if you have a friend, you know how hard it is. And the reason that is is, well, it's kind of because we're more like the villains of the story. I'm gonna ask the band to come up, but if you think about villains, they hoard, they hurt others, they walk around with these wounds and scars, they build walls around them, they avoid the hard conversations, they build up resentment and anger, they struggle with being vulnerable. So if we're the villains of the story, that means there also has to be a hero of the story. I say it all the time here. Every story of the Bible, every verse of the Bible points to that hero. And I'll be honest, I always in my sermons try to point us to Jesus. And some weeks, that's easier than others. Some weeks, it's incredibly hard. This is not one of those weeks. This is the easy week to take this story straight to Jesus as that hero, as that friend. In Psalms, it calls Jesus a friend who keeps us from harm, who watches over us. In Matthew, it says he's a friend to the end of the ages. In Titus, they write, he's a kind friend. He's a friend who won't burn us. He's a friend who won't let us down. In Hebrews, the writer says he is a loyal friend. In John, he says he is a truthful friend. He is a friend that speaks up in our defense. He is a friend that goes before the Father on our behalf. And in John fifteen thirteen. Jesus says there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends, and that's what our friend did. For Jonathan, David is his friend, but also his future king. For us, Jesus is our friend, but also our present and future king. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but to be friends with the king, that's pretty special, right? But here's what's cool before we can call the king our friend you and I have to accept the fact that the king has already called us his friends so do you accept that tonight because you have to accept it it's a two-way street friendship there has to be mutual vulnerability the king went first he says you're my friend And he was vulnerable and he stretched out his arms and he showed us how far he would go to be a loyal friend. And so now it's our turn. We have to be vulnerable with our sin, handing our fears over to him, sharing the good stuff with our friend and sharing the bad stuff with that friend. In Christ, we have a king. He is the ultimate ruler and authority of this world and our lives. But in that king, we also have a loyal friend who never lets us down. So I want to stand tonight as we close, and I just want to proclaim that together as a church. Jesus just saying you are good seems so simple. You are magnificent you are holy, you are just, you are our friend, you are our savior, you are our everything. And Father, you're good. We worship you. We thank you. This week, as you leave this place, those friends that came to mind tonight, and I hope everybody had a friend from the past and a friend from the present, maybe multiple ones that came to mind. Man, this week, tell them how much you appreciate that friend. Tell them how much they mean in your life. Maybe there is that hard conversation that you've been avoiding having. You're like, man, I'll just shove it down deep. And maybe that's a conversation with that friend that you need to have. And then give God praise for the friends he put in your life and give him praise for his son who is your greatest friend. God bless. Love you all. See you next week.